Hello and welcome to the Suffolk Safeguarding Partnerships podcast. We're joined today by Anthony Douglas, who is the independent chair. Anthony has joined us today to talk about hidden harm and a little bit about safeguarding during COVID and these difficult times that we're in at the moment. Hi, Anthony, welcome. Thanks, Sadie. I just wanted to emphasise how crucial safeguarding children and adults at risk is during these tense and strange times we're living in. Safeguarding doesn't pause. There's no circuit breaker on the abuse or neglect meted out to people at risk. If anything, there's a need to be even more vigilant because people are behind closed doors more, the risk of hidden harm is greater, and because of what I see as the epidemic of fear and mild anxiety that's gripping the nation, um, worried about catching COVID, um, worried about um, how you operate in public, and safeguarding has a check and balance which involves a number of people seeing a vulnerable child or a vulnerable adult in person. And I just wanted to restate the importance of seeing people. So that if you're a child like Arthur Lavinio Hughes or Star Hobson in the much reported cases recently, or if you're a, an adult like some of those safeguarding adult review um, older people we've seen whose lived experience was terrible, despite lots of people being around them. All of those examples show how you have to have a number of people see and really look at and understand the lived experience of someone at risk. And with COVID, that just takes some of those options away, especially with the threat of children not being at school again, and with the restrictions on some care home visiting, and with the fact that professionals are themselves dropping like flies with sickness of one sort or another. So the proper regulation of casework to see people um, is just not there anymore. There's more of a chance you see someone you've never seen before, who doesn't have the continuity to spot when you're at risk and more of a chance that someone just pops in and out quickly and more superficially just to attend to what needs doing rather than to see you as a whole person. Uh, there are issues that we want to campaign about in the partnership like the Herbert Protocol which I'll just end with because the Herbert Protocol is a protocol to keep people with dementia safe when they go missing, to save them and to find them. It's a crucial protocol. Now, if you see someone out during a lockdown, you may conclude, well, they're just breaking the rules. Um, but actually, there may be someone with a mental health problem or with early onset dementia who simply is not aware of the broader circumstances and just goes out. So people need that extra level of support, that extra level of oversight, 
and that extra level of protection even more so during the pandemic. Thanks, Anthony. That's that's really helpful. I think there's a couple of things that you touched on there that are really, really important. And you said about the, the continuity of care during, you know, during these difficult times where different practitioners might be going in to visit people and they might not notice the level of risk that somebody might have. So we've had Abby's case review recently in adults. And one of the key things that came out of her case during lockdown one was that she had carers going in to visit her every day for a period of 17 days. But actually, because it wasn't the same person going in every day, they didn't notice a slight decline in Abby's weight. They didn't notice that she was actually deflecting and saying she would take her medications later. And it's that thing that you do build up with somebody over time if you're going in to visit them every day. So I think that is a really important point that you touched on there, especially around communicating with colleagues and doing proper handovers and filling in the, you know, the care care plans or case notes or whatever it may be to help the next person picking it up potentially spots some risks for people. And I think there was also some other things that we've seen in the partnership around finding new sort of innovative ways of checking in on people. So things like better joint working, where we're seeing, you know, potentially fire working really closely with social workers, where the social workers aren't able to go in and visit people. And I think we've heard it in children's as well, haven't we, where people are communicating with families or teenagers via texts, and they're actually finding that a better way of getting that young person to open up to them or just going and meeting somebody for a walk. So I think there's some good kind of innovative ways there as well. No, I agree completely, Sadie. And um, I think that in a in a crisis like this, everyone is a social worker, everyone is a police officer, everyone is a carer, um, everyone uh, tries to cover for each other's jobs, to know enough about them so that if the other profession is missing for whatever reason, you do as best you can to spot issues for them. And I would say that that crucial face-to-face -face value is what matters. If you're seen by a fire and rescue officer, then that is better than being triaged remotely by a specialist. And I was horrified to hear of some stories during the pandemic of superficial triage of people with eating disorders just being asked what their weight is rather than having eyes on them to understand talking with them whether they needed blood tests and other tests i think we have to be really careful um, to understand that you cannot risk assess anybody remotely you can keep in touch um, and just work with someone to to make sure they're okay but self-reporting is notoriously limited in safeguarding situations. Someone who's being domestically abused, maybe with their abuser, of course they're going to say um, they're okay. So there's no substitute for visiting, being face-to-face -face, and not allowing someone to be cut off for weeks or months at a time. And we have to learn that lesson from the first and second lockdowns if we start to go back into this again. Absolutely. And I wondered, would you want to say anything about your appreciative inquiry on safeguarding during COVID? I suppose the 
the main findings were that some partnership working was better than ever. The, it, the crisis brought out best in people, the fastest, most intense reaction. And some of the volunteering was unbelievable, where some people got more support than ever before. Um, my worry is that's now dropped back off. And there's an assumption that life is going somewhere back to normal, but I don't think it is. But the main adverse finding that um, I was struck by was what I've called self-help Suffolk, the number of people who were effectively abandoned by the state. And despite all the rhetoric about positive partnership working, it did leave some people out completely who suffered in silence for the best part of a year. So somehow, despite those trackers and all the mechanisms to try to prevent people being isolated, then I think it just was too complex because people go in and out of need. And if you have a period of a year where there's a pandemic, then in month two, something that may have been picked up by business as usual, public service, just isn't seen at all because it's not referred in, not handled in the in the same way. And I think what we're left with now is very considerable mental health aftermath of the pandemic and of all the things that happened to people. So if we had one focus for me, it would be to abandon rigid eligibility criteria about who does and doesn't deserve a service and particularly to be aware of people's potential serious mental health needs that might come quite quickly, especially during isolation. Absolutely. And that rigid eligibility criteria is something that comes up in our case reviews often as well. So it's such an important message. Um, thank you so much, Anthony. Some of the things that were mentioned in the podcast today, the appreciative inquiry will be published on our website shortly. We've also got a number of posters and resources about spotting signs of abuse, which are available on our website. And a copy of Abby's case study and the Herbert Protocol is also available on the website. So links to all of those things will be in the description of this podcast. Thanks so much, Anthony. My pleasure, Sadie. Thank you.